Friends, it's Welcome Home Sunday, and I would give anything for us to be together in the sanctuary this morning. I long for the day when we can gather in any form. I'm grateful for our task force that continues to meet, and they are working through some creative ways for us to gather this fall, and I look forward to that news reaching you in the days and the weeks ahead. Uh, we are going to begin a new sermon series today entitled With Great Hope, and I'm going to tell you more about that in a moment, but we're going to dive into our scripture lesson today. It comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul is away from his community when he writes these words. He's been away from them for a long time. It feels uh, sort of similar to how we have been over these last six months. And so I want you to listen with new ears this day for the word of the Lord to all of us. So listen now to these words from the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because you hold me in your heart. For all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. How I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what is best so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So friends, we're beginning our new sermon series this Sunday. It's entitled, With Great Hope. I don't know about you, but I feel like our world is a bit anemic for hope these days. I mean, how do we stand in the face of all that is happening in our world and claim hope? Hope is often defined as a feeling of expectation that something good will happen. Uh, this time of year, I have eternal hope that my South Carolina Gamecocks will actually be good in football this year. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just waiting for you to stop laughing. It's okay. It really is. I mean, it happens to me every year, and I know better, but I actually believe that the Gamecocks could be good this year, even though every year my heart is crushed. I have hope 
at the beginning of the season. I mean, I have that feeling that something good will come of this year, but in my 37 years of life, I've got to tell you, I've learned not to trust that sense of hope. But friends, there's much in our world today that causes us to feel hopeless. I mean, how many of us haven't felt hopeless during COVID? I mean, will this ever end? When will a vaccine be released? When it is released, uh, can it be trusted? I mean, how much longer do I or my loved ones need to stay quarantined? Who among us hasn't felt hopeless? Or who hasn't felt hopeless about the state of race in our country? I mean, honestly, who doesn't feel hopeless when they watch the death of another black person in America captured by a cell phone camera? I mean, who can watch that and not feel sick or outraged or empathetic or broken or a bit hopeless? You know, I've talked to people across the political spectrum over the past uh, several weeks, and they've all expressed a hopelessness about the coming election. I mean, they don't use the word hopeless. It usually comes out as a deep sigh and a shake of the head with the words, well, I just don't know. It's a head shake. It's a posture of hopelessness. I mean, this is to say nothing of the wildfires in California or the state of poverty in Dallas or our anxiety and fear about homeschooling or sending our kids back to school. I mean, these are the big ones. Not to mention our daily struggles. This summer, the church's email server was hacked. It was a ransomware virus, and we lost everything. And it's taken well over a month to rebuild our system, but during that time, that we were shut down, I was cleaning out my inbox and I was filing some emails away when I stumbled on my sent folder. I had never clicked on my sent mail folder, but apparently I had 6,300 emails in my sent folder. 6,300. I started to scroll through all of those emails and I read some of them that I had sent over the years. The emails that stuck out to me were email responses to many of you with questions or concerns about the daily struggles that you were, you are facing. Emails expressing a celebration about a new job or a new pregnancy or a college admissions or an engagement. Or emails that expressed a worry about your kids or the strained relationship with a parent, or emails about the fear that you were carrying in the face of a diagnosis that you just received, or emails about uh, your grief and your pain over the marriage or the relationship that was clearly coming to an end, or emails on the anniversary of a loved one's death, or emails with you in distress about how much longer you're going to be unemployed. I mean, you've been applying and applying and still nothing. Or emails portraying your loneliness. You just moved into a new community, 
you miss your old friends or emails about the outrage outrage over the injustice of the world. This is to say nothing of the soul-stirring questions that you emailed about, about meaning and purpose in life. These are to name but just a few of the emails I came across that day, and if you were one of those emails, you know that no matter the subject matter of the email, I sign every one the same way, with great hope, comma, Matthew. I sign every email that way because uh, as people of faith, hope is a deeper conviction than merely something good will happen. Hope is something deeper than believing that my Gamecocks are going to win this year. No, as people of faith, hope is the deep conviction that God has not quit on us or on the world. Another way to put that, it is the deep conviction that states that God has not given up on us or on the world, and it means that there is more going on in our lives than what is present in our current circumstances. The deep conviction of hope means that there is no place or circumstance or experience that is beyond hope because there is no place that is beyond God. Though it's tempting in our world today to think of hope in economic terms. I mean, we're supposed to carry a balance of $100 of hope with us at all times. And when we encounter fear or suffering or doubt or pain, that that will subtract from our hope balance. I mean, if you have $75 of fear, then you can only have $25 of hope. Ah, But hope doesn't play by those rules. Hope isn't a zero-sum game. Hope is trusting that there is a story greater than our present circumstances and that we are inextricably connected to the divine who has not quit on us. So hope plays by a different set of rules. You don't have to subtract hope. Hope's balance is never depleted. And if anyone knows this, it's the Apostle Paul in our scripture passage that I just read today. Uh, Paul has been arrested for pro- proclaiming that Jesus is Lord, which, remember, uh, Roman emperors were known as Lord or uh, Son of God. So to proclaim a crucified rogue rabbi as Lord and Savior, uh, to proclaim Jesus as Son of God would land you in prison. And to be clear, if crucifixion is Rome's death sentence, can you imagine what the prison conditions must have been like? Paul's in a Roman prison when he writes his letter to the Philippians. I mean, what does Paul have to hope for from a prison cell? I mean, how does Paul have hope beyond his present circumstances? How does Paul have hope beyond his immediate future? Frankly, how does Paul have any good news or hope to share? While Paul doesn't come out and plainly say, this is where I have hope, 
I do hear echoed in his opening words to the Philippians, the promise of hope. And I can see it so clearly, what my good friend Lane Alderman used to say, the ABCs of hope are the assurance for today, based on God's work in the past that gives us confidence for the future. Paul's hope for the Philippians is his A, assurance, for today that the Philippians are still held in the love of God. I thank my God every time I remember you. Based, B, based on God's work in the past, in Paul's words, the one who began a good work through you, through this community that has been part of spreading the good news of the gospel. And that gives them, see, the confidence for the future, which in Paul's words will bring it to completion through you. What Paul is saying, no matter the unknown future, your future is in God. Oh, it's easy to stand in front of all that is happening these days and to turn to hopelessness. And the ABCs of hope may seem uh, rudimentary, but I want to give them to you as a gift this day for when you're feeling hopeless, because I believe the ABCs of hope will offer you a way forward and orient your life towards the hope that is present in God even during these days. I have to tell you, it's been impossible for me to think about hope in the midst of suffering and in the face of the unknown this week and not think of our own Ryan Anthony. Ryan walked a journey with myeloma, and if you were a part of the music ministry of the church or you are connected in any way with the Dallas Symphony, you know Ryan's journey well. It was a journey that spanned more than eight years and countless hospital stays and surgeries and chemotherapy sessions, along with many good days. But no matter the place on the journey, Ryan always had hope. And Ryan's hope uh, shocked so many of us who knew the odds that he was facing. We were constantly amazed at how he clung to hope in the face of such adversity. Steve Jobman would frequently call me after visiting with Ryan and just say, I'm just, uh, I'm just amazed at how he's doing. I'm amazed at how hopeful he is. The hope that Steve saw in Ryan was the deep and abiding hope found in God. Not just the feeling that something good will happen. No, Ryan's hope was based on the assurance of who God had been in Ryan's life based on God's promise revealed that Ryan was never alone, that God was with him in every season. And that gave Ryan confidence to face his unknown future of health, vocation, and family, and ultimately his own death with confidence. Friends, that's the hope that we 
have been given. That's eternal hope. Hope eternal. May it be so for you and for me and for all of us this very day. Amen.